Lord Jesus, what a privilege and honor to be in your presence. We magnify the name that's above every name. We give you glory and honor. There is none like you, Jesus. We worship you today. You and you alone are worthy. I bless you today, Jesus. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Nehemiah, the seventh chapter. I will read verse 1 through verse 3. Now it came to pass when the wall was built, and I had set up the doors and the porters and the singers and the Levites were appointed, that I gave my brother Hananiah and Hananijah, the ruler of the palace, charge over Jerusalem, for he was a faithful man and feared God above many. And I said unto them, Let not the gates of Jerusalem be opened until the sun be hot. While they stand by, let them shut the doors and bar them, and appoint watches of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, everyone in his watch and everyone to be over against his house. Now the city was large and great, but the people were few therein, and the houses were not builded. For a little while tonight, if you will allow me, I want to speak to you about guarding the gate. The Lord bless you. you. May be seated. Before I begin tonight, let me say what a great honor it is to be here, to be home. It's always good to be home. It's um, there's no place like home, and it's always good to be here. And I hope that something I say tonight will help life to become different for you. The last few years of my life, I have been on a journey with God. There are things that I've had a conversation with God about that I didn't like the outcome of the conversation. God don't always tell you what you want to hear. He don't always say yes. And there are times he will let you know that uh, your opinion is really not what he's interested in. I've had a couple of those encounters over the last three years. The Lord allowed me to meet a gentleman a few years ago that I've spoken of who was sitting in the congregation the day that G.T. Hayward walked out of his office having spent seven days secluded in prayer and fasting, stepped into his pulpit and began to sing the song that we have sang for 70-plus years now, I see a crimson stream of blood. It flows from Calvary. He expressed what happened that day in that service as a result of the pastor having an encounter with God and the incredible move of God that took place that day. There was such a powerful move of God that day that the neighbors thought the building was on fire because they saw smoke coming out of the, what they thought was smoke coming out of the building and called the fire department in the middle of that service, they burst in the back door screaming, get out, get out, 
church is on fire. Pastor Haywood said, no, the church is not on fire. We're just having church. It's just the power of God that's here. And he encountered or recounted several other incidents that he remembered in his life that were similar to those experiences. And I got a phone call last week that Bishop Archie had passed away. That part of our history is gone. It's no longer here. I am well aware that we stand at a precipice of time where things could change drastically and go one direction or we can decide that that's not the way we want to go and we stick to the path. There's a lot of confusion today. There's confusion in the lives of people. There's confusion in our world. As a result of the event that took place in America 12 years ago, 11 years ago, we, we have changed drastically. Today I was thinking about that event and I was we, we've heard people say that the first time in history that a foreign nation stepped on soil in America and invaded us and caused such chaos, but that's not true. We had the War of 1812. We, that's happened many times in the past. Why do we look at it in such a way that it's so different than it was before? We lost our peace. We lost our ability to live in a safe world. As I was reading the Word of God, this passage of Scripture came to me several months ago, and as I read it, I saw an analogy of the world that you and I live in today. Not quite their world, but there's a reference to our world. When Nehemiah steps on the scene he comes into the life of Israel when they are just returning from the 70 years of captivity living with the Babylonians. And when they finally get back to Israel and get an opportunity to start the process of putting their lives back together, they begin to build the walls. And as they build the walls of Jerusalem to make the place safe, they encounter opposition. There are those that make fun of them. There are those that ridicule them. There are Sanballat and Tobiah that, that show up and make a mockery of what they're doing and, and uh, taunt them on a daily basis. Do you really think the walls that you're building will keep you safe? And do you think that we can't just take it from you whenever we want? And, and on a daily basis, they were harassed and harassed and harassed. But finally, the day came when the wall was built, the gates were placed in the wall, and the doors were shut, and the bar was laid in the cradle to protect the city. Nehemiah gives charge to Hananiah, the brother, and he says to him, there's something that I want you to do. I am giving you charge of deciding when we open 
the gates and when we don't open the gates. And here's what I want you to do because you are a faithful man and you fear God above many. Because of your walk with God, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I, I am asking you that you not open these gates until the sun burns hot. Now, that's not the normal time to open the gates of the city. The normal time to open the gates of the city is at sunrise. As the sun is coming up, I Usually the cities or the gates of cities were open at that time. But Nehemiah says, I, I don't want this gate opened at sunrise. I don't want the gate opened until the sun burns hot. Well, that indicates that somebody has to make a decision to decide when it's hot and when it's not. How will you decide when it's hot enough to open the gates? Well, Nehemiah had to rely on somebody that he thought was faithful enough and feared God enough not to open the gate until he thought it was hot enough. Why was opening that gate so important? Why? Why was the time such a, such a critical issue? Because in his day, gates decided and defined who owned the city. If you didn't keep the gate, then someone could come in and take your city. We live in a world today that's challenging everything about life, everything we've stood for, everything we believe in. And as a result of that, today we're not sure when to close the gate. Now, when you look at what he asked, he made a decision that would not be comfortable with most people. He made a decision that would cause them possibly to lose money, to lose work, that some days they wouldn't get to go to work because on a rainy day when there were clouds in the sky, the gate would never be open. On a foggy day, when you couldn't see, the gate would not be open. The only time that you open this gate is when you can feel the heat of the sun. Why was that such an issue with Nehemiah? Well, they weren't very many. They were few according to what the Scripture says. And because there were such a few of them, he wanted to make sure that when they made the decision to open that gate, they could see what was on the outside. You don't make decisions based upon blurry vision or overcast skies. You better make sure that when you look over that gate, you can see what's outside. You didn't do it in the morning at the, at the dawn of day because things could be hid in shadows. You wanted to make sure that when you decide to open that gate, you can see everybody on the other side. There are some things in life you have to make a decision about, and it may be contrary to your world, and it may make some people uncomfortable, and some people may not be happy about that decision, but you got to decide when you're going to let things in and when you're not going to let things out. 
See, it, it wasn't a matter of protecting what's outside. What he was concerned about was what was inside. I remember uh, back years ago that, that uh, there was a time when we recognized that the world we lived in wasn't really a good place for our kids to get an education. So many of our churches created a place to give them an education. And as a result of uh, of creating Christian schools, and I, I remember the battles of the 70s because uh, our world didn't like it. Our government didn't like it. There were men who spent nights in jail. Lester Roloff, I don't know how many nights that man spent in jail because he was stood up for what he believed was right. Now, he didn't have the message you and I have, but he recognized there were some principles in life you better be willing to die for or to go to jail for. And they placed him in jail on many occasions because he would not tolerate his government telling him what he could or could not do as far as his kids and his church was concerned. That wasn't a comfortable decision. The Supreme Court had to eventually step in and rule that churches had a right to teach their convictions. But a church doesn't have a right to teach its preferences. But if it is a conviction that you're willing to die for and that you'll go to jail for and that you won't change because of family and you won't change because of peers and you won't change because of threat of death, that is what's protected by your Constitution and your First Amendment rights. There are some things in our lives that we've got to make a decision about protecting. And we have to decide that these things are worth protecting. And it may be a decision which requires you to lose some things. You may not work as long as you could have the day before. And you may not make as much money. But your kids and your family are much more important than any kind of wealth or things you can accumulate in life. We've got to guard the gate. And it doesn't matter who stands up and says, you know what, I really need to get outside today because there are things out there that I need to do. But Nehemiah said, no, the man in charge of opening that gate decides when this gate gets open. And if he decides this is the time to open it, it will be open. But I can guarantee you, when he opens that gate, you will be safe and you won't have to worry about harm and danger. Your world has taken away our safety mechanisms. And, and we've allowed things to happen in our world that we at one time would be shocked and, and, and condemned or, or convicted over. But no longer are we convicted. We don't blush anymore. We're not ashamed of our behavior. There, there's nothing that causes us to feel remorse anymore because... The world uh, has changed so drastically. But I'm in charge of my home. My government's not in charge of my house. My church is not in charge of my house. I'm in charge of my house. And I better make sure I protect what's in my house because I can promise you nobody else is going to protect it for you. I, I guess I've uh, 
read a few things I probably shouldn't have read. I've read a doctor who's studying the human brain, and he, he's got some incredible material, and I quoted some of his material, but he's made some statements that, that really caused me a lot of problems. And one of the statements he's made that he sees in the short future that there will be no such thing as religion. That Buddhists, Hindus, Muslims, Christians, and Jews will merge all of what they believe into one new system and we will have a new system of belief about God. And he quotes statistics and he quotes ideas and he quotes things that, 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 that he can prove how all this is coming about. And if you look around today, that's exactly what's happening in our world. How has that happened? We quit guarding the gate. We didn't think the things inside the city was important to protect it from what's outside. I find in the scripture that there was a day in the life of Diana, Jacob's daughter, that she decided to go out and see her world, according to the scripture. And she went out to see her world, but it wasn't what she was seeing that affected her. It's what saw her that affected her. We used to make decisions that sometimes people would make fun of or ridicule, but we made them because we thought it was the best thing to take place in our lives and for our families' lives. But our world doesn't want us to have those boundaries anymore. Our world says they're not necessary anymore, so we're blurring the lines about a whole, whole, lot, of a, a whole lot of things. We're, we're blurring the line about marriage and divorce. We're blurring the lines about what's right and what's wrong. Well, you know, if, if I feel comfortable doing it, Nehemiah didn't give anybody in Jerusalem the right to decide when to open that gate. The only person who had the right was Hananiah. Why have we got to a point, what's happened to America, that we have gotten to the point we won't listen to anybody. Nobody speaks in our lives. Nobody can give us a warning. Nobody can stand on the wall and say, watchman, what of the night? Because we don't want a watchman in the in our world. We 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 don't want anybody speaking to us or or speaking into our lives or trying to point out that maybe that's not a wise decision. We get angry and 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 bitter about things in life. That's my world. To God didn't. One of the things that, that, that me and God's had discussion about this is this church and how it, how it operates, why it operates the way it is. And God informed me. He, he really didn't need my opinion about why you need a pastor. He set those things in order. He set pastors in positions of, of, of pastoring a flock. I'm not a pastor, so I make sure that that's not an order of my business. I, I don't do a pastor's job. 
But I have made up my mind that I will preach conviction whenever God directs me to preach it. And I will preach so that you will become convicted of your life and things in life that maybe we need to change and maybe there's some differences that need to take place as as a result that, that, that we've allowed life to tell us, you know what, I don't need anybody telling me what to do. Nobody's going to speak to my life. Nobody's going to tell me this. Nobody's going to do this to me. That's our world. It's where our world's come to. I, I had a discussion with a couple of men several weeks ago, and I, I was the only one that's apostolic in the group, and all the rest are not apostolic. And so uh, I, I was in a confined space. We were riding in a car going from one city back here, and I, I agreed to ride with them, and I really didn't want to start with and wouldn't take my car, but they talked me into it. And all the way back, we had this quite lengthy, heated discussion. See, religion today and Pentecostals today, let's forget the rest of the world. Let's just talk about Pentecostals in general. Those people that speak in tongues, that group, that's us. Pentecostals today have got to the point where that, that his, one of the whole arguments of, of this discussion was that uh, I, I'm, I'm comfortable in my salvation by grace. There's nothing I do. It's not my works. So I don't need to be baptized anymore. I, I, I really, and, and I was shocked when I hear what I'm hearing, that baptism is really not necessary. And, and you know, I said, well, what do you think Jesus meant when he said, unless a man is born of the water and spirit, he shall enter the kingdom of God. He shall not enter the kingdom of God. Well, what do you think he meant by that? Is, is that just a, a, a trivial pursuit that you can do it if you want or if it's not what you want to do, you don't have to do it. He said, oh, that's natural birth. I said, oh, you can argue that if you want, but I know the Greek language and I can prove to you emphatically by the original language that had nothing to do with natural birth. It's baptism. When you're buried in his name and baptism. There's only 29 days out of the ministry of Jesus Christ recorded in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you not think he said a whole lot more than what's in that, those four little books? John said, if, if, if man could write everything he said, the whole world could not contain the volumes written about him. That's such a small part. And so they want to take what Jesus said and not what the disciples said. Come on. But that's the world we're living in. That's what our world's trying to tell us, that some things are not necessary. There are some things that you can avoid or eliminate. It's according to what you think. Nehemiah didn't give any of those Jews at Jerusalem the right to express what they thought. It wasn't them that decided who opened that gate. It was the man he put in charge of the city. And he said, because he's a faithful man, because he fears God, this man will decide when that door gets open. Sitting there this morning, I went to the book of Philippians, the second chapter. And it says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. 
who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. The literal translation literally says to be God. That's not an argument there about Jesus being separate from God. It, it, he, he expressed it entirely. But here's what he here's what he said about the mind of Christ. He made of himself of no reputation. The literal translation says he emptied himself out like a carton full of a fluid or a liquid. You turn it up and you pour it out to every last drop is gone. That's what he did. He said, unless you allow that mind to become part of your mind and you decide that you're going to empty yourself out, that's the mind God wants in us. See, God doesn't want you and I to becoming so independent, nobody's going to tell us what to do. This is probably the hardest thing I've ever preached in my life. But I can tell you tonight, I have, I feel incredibly compelled to say what I'm saying to you. We're not willing to listen. Nobody can speak into our lives. No, nobody can say, you know, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe that's a bad decision. See, my world says I can have whatever I want, whenever I want it. If we want something, we can have it tomorrow. If you can find something tonight you really crave, if it's before midnight, you can get on the Internet. You can order it online. It'll be at your doorstep at 9 o'clock tomorrow morning. It'll be here instantly. So we don't have to wait for nothing. But you can't live at God's house. You can't even live at your own house like that don't work at home. We, we don't know about delayed gratification and, and how, to, how to say, you know what, that's not a good idea. If I get a craving for something, instantly I, I, I satisfy the craving. In doing so, I am programming this brain that every time I, I'm stressed or things get uh, a little bit out of balance, my brain, because of what I did before, will start craving things that I, I don't even recognize why I want them. Why? Because we've never learned to tell ourselves no. We've never learned to say, you know what? This is probably not a good idea. This is not a good decision. Oh, my world says, my generation says, is that if it feels good, do it. Well, I'll have to tell you something. Scientists today will tell you that the greatest thrill you'll ever get is jumping off a tall building. It feels incredible. You get a high that's beyond any high your body could ever experience. That's an incredible feeling. But to stop, it's not incredible. There are consequences to feelings, but we don't talk about the consequences. We don't address the consequences. But there's, there's a gate that has to be locked and barred, and you decide when it gets hot. You don't make decisions in life. When you can't see the outcome or you can't see over the wall or you can't see who's outside, you better make sure you know what you're looking at when you make a decision. When 
my children were young, my wife and I, we talked a long time about a whole lot of things. We made decisions about what we let in our house, what we didn't let in our house. And I've noticed over the last few years that it's easier to let some of those things go because everybody's doing it. So we justify whether it's a good idea by what the crowd believes or what the crowd responds to. And, and some things are just not a good idea. What I'm letting in the lives of my kids and my grandkids and what I'm feeding those little minds is going to affect them. Everything they participate in life, they get from what they observe around me. So I got to guard that gate. I got to decide what I let in my home. See, Victoria don't have secrets. You let that in the house of a nine-year-old, you got a little boy running around about nine, ten years of age, leave that thing laying around, and, and now all of a sudden all, you got all kinds of problems as a result of, of, of what you have allowed. What, what's, what's, who's standing at the gate? We're not talking about this church. I'm talking about your house and your home. We used to blush at things that... that when people's behavior was, was a little risque or obscene, we, it would bother us. But it's, it's so blatant today that not even big deal anymore. My wife just read to me yesterday, day before yesterday, a news article she saw on, I don't know where she found it, how she found it, probably when she jumped on the computer and Fox News popped up. But you know what your kids are exposed to today? 40% more nudity today than five years ago. 40% more. And, and, and nobody, no, nobody's appalled or... And we have all these issues that happen in relationships and families. And see, our world's taught us that you're going to find a Cinderella in a white ball gown, glass slippers. There's going to be a Prince Charming. Folks, I, I'm, I hate to bust your bubble, but that's all the product of a demented mind. Do, do you know that the, that guy that created Barbie, they discovered was a pedophile, pervert. He created a, an image that will wreck your kids' lives if you let it. There's nobody looks like that. There's not a human body like that. It's the demented mind of a, of a polluted male that got into your kids' life because we just, nobody guarded gate. Now, the number one and two problem of teenage female between 12 and 17 is anorexia and bulimia. 
because we got to have this certain body image and we got to look a certain way. And if, if, and I'm hearing pastors, I'm, 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 I'm riding down the road and I'm, I'm hearing conversation of, of a young couple and, and he's telling her she needs to go to the gym. And I, I want to, I want to say, you know what, sir, that's real dumb. You know, the curse of Sodom and Gomorrah was fullness of time. Fullness of good, idleness of time. Nothing to do. Got to look good. So we bought into Barbie. You got to have the skinny figure and you got to have this certain look or because we ain't guard the gate. You, you don't ever quit guarding that gate. You got to make a decision. See, I, when I really got to think about what happened... Nehemiah understood what got them in the problem they were in to start with. Before they went to Babylon, nobody was concerned about their lives, the, the way they were living their lives. Nobody was guarding anything. It just all was left open and, and, and everything was left for anybody to make decisions. You got to guard the gate. You got to guard the gate. What am I letting in? So nobody's responsible for my home but me. Mom, Dad, it's not your church's responsibility to teach your children anything. I can say that. He can't, but I can. It's not your youth department's responsibility to put morals in your kids. It's not the church's responsibility to teach them right and wrong. It's not... The, 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 the children's church department to teach you kids about God. It, it's, it's not Sunday school's department to put into your kids the things they need about God. It's my responsibility to talk to them about the stories of life and the experiences of life and the things I remember. I, I talked to Christopher, who's the son of Bishop Archie, a couple of days ago. I said, Christopher, the greatest tragedy that can happen of your dad's life is for you as part of that family not to record all those things you remember hearing him say. You remember all those people showed up at your house. You have memories of prayer meetings, of dinner prayer meetings that, that caused the meals to get cold. And, and four hours later, y'all still, you, you have those memories. Better record them or they'll be lost. Got to guard the gate. I'm getting old. I, I'm looking back at life and I'm thinking, okay. I remember experiences in life. I remember events in life that were life-changing. I remember prayer meetings that, that were life-changing. I remember those experiences. And the only way my kids are going to know about it or my grandkids is, is for me to tell it and to rehearse it and to talk about it and share it and when I keep sharing it, and I keep talking about it, and I keep remembering those things, I'll, I'll give them a, a desire to want to know God in a, in a different way. you got to guard the gate. you got to make sure that decisions are not based upon what feels good or, 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 or the circumstances. you, you got to make sure that when you look on the other side of that gate, 
There's not a cloud hiding things so things can be hidden that you can't see. There, there, there's, there's no fog that's come in and, and nobody can see you. It's just, if it's raining, it's a good idea to stay inside. Just keep the gate closed. It affected economy. It affected pocketbooks. If the church would quit living their life based upon their pocketbooks, we'd be a whole lot different than we are right now. It's about money and what I accumulate and what you know, I'm an incredibly blessed man. We we are incredibly blessed. We were raised by parents that love God. They weren't preachers. They were good saints. They didn't let us talk about the preacher at the dining room table. They, they didn't let us run people down at, at, at supper. We didn't get to talk about things. They didn't never ask my opinion about what kind of trouble I got in at church. When they brought me upstairs from the Sunday school apartment, sent me down, my mama or daddy, I knew when I got home, there, there's no amount of explaining going to change the outcome of what's going to happen at the house. They didn't want James's opinion because they knew James knew how to twist the story to get a good outcome. When I come home from school and, and, and we're standing in the hallway and and and. Somebody saw me. I won't say who, but somebody saw me. Mama found me. She didn't ask. She didn't want my opinion of the story. I didn't just get stood in the hallway that day. I got lit up when I got home. I had to go to that cedar tree next door and pick my own switch. They weren't mean. She never beat me. I genuinely marks on my body. I, I, I wasn't tormented, damaged by, but she taught me about respect and loving people and listening to people and about submitting to people. Nobody's had to pay the price for our behavior. We can do horrible things and, and, and there's no consequences to them anymore because we don't guard the gate. I want my home to be healthy. Want my home to be safe. I gotta guard the gate, and I don't want to open that gate if I can't see what's outside. I, I'm not gonna make decisions that are based upon uh, uh, not being able to see the whole picture. See, my my walls took all the walls down. See, there are just some there there are lines in my life I don't cross. My wife has a very dear friend. For a long time, part of her life, she called her every day. They don't quite do that anymore, but at least twice a week, three times a week she calls. When she calls my house, I don't carry on conversation with her. I don't ask her how she's doing or how her kids are doing or what's going on in their lives. When she calls my house, says, is Leanne there? I say, no, she's got that store. She's got her phone. Okay, bye. See ya. Because my world says you open that door and you just let anybody in your life. No, you don't let people in your life. 
God didn't intend for us to be friends. The only person I can be a friend with is someone who has the same kind of chromosomes I have. Yeah, all those X's. Those that have X and Y, I can't be friends with. It's just not possible. Uh, the two of them hang out together. God made them get married. So you get, you just, you, you don't guard the gate. You start hanging out. And, and the fact is, it doesn't matter how much Holy Ghost you think you've got. You keep the conversation going. And eventually, 60 hours down the road of intimate conversation, according to the Dobson Institute, there'll be a whole lot of touching going on. Because God didn't want us just open our lives to people. We got to guard the gate. We got to guard our homes. We got to, if my grandkids are important, and, and Jill, I'm sorry that I, I, I didn't pay attention enough to know that you're just as important as they are. But when you're young, you don't think about those kind of things. But as a 61-year-old today, I'm looking at those three little kids and the other three little kids that live across town, and I'm, I'm thinking about my behavior. And if I do this, how's it going to affect their life? If Papa does this, what's this going to do to them? If Papa goes here, how, how will they be affected? Uh, and Papa has to make his decision based upon what he can see on the other side of that gate. Got to guard the gate. And I'm responsible for the gate. I'm responsible for the gate of my home. So God put me in charge of my house. And I'm, I'm responsible for what I let in. And, 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 and we're letting things in that, that, that you don't understand or think are going to be a problem. But there's going to be a day in the future where that causes a problem. Because it, it begins to work on your moral factors and your, your, your convictions about whether this is important or not. And, and so now we argue over things. How can you prove that in the Bible? Give me ch chapter and verse. Paul said, does nature. So some things don't have to be taught by the Bible. You just start to be able to look around and say, you know what, this is not a good idea. I, I, I'm all, my, my kids really don't need this in their life. My grandkids really don't need this in my life. I, I, I've got to guard the gate. Please stand.